This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. And just a quick shout-out for those of you who uh, are following my sponsors, and I hope you are. I hope you will uh, take the time. If you find yourself in need of a uh, refinance or maybe you need a home mortgage, I want you to contact my friend John Staples and his lovely wife, Heather, the Staples-Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. Simple as going to staplesmortgage.com. I want you to understand they work for an incredible company that started very small in southern Utah and now is 23 states strong, and they have tons of experience. Lots and lots of experience and clout to make things happen for you in the way that they need to happen. So if you find yourself in need of a refinance or if you need your, find yourself in need of a new home loan, and by the way, economic troubles aside, there are some really great opportunities right now that are cropping up for people who are prepared. Get in touch with the Staples-Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, staplesmortgage.com. When you talk to John, tell him Brian says good things about you. You're going to find out for yourself. They're all true. They're absolutely true. And you can thank me later for sending you his direction. All right. Let's talk about a couple other things going on in our world. Um, I wanted to, to share with you an, an article from Jeff Minnick talking about what I think is one of the great examples of that which is seen and that which is not seen. And Jeff Minnick, writing for intellectualtakeout.org, has outlined a problem that we're seeing right now with evictions. And, and you know, I totally understand if people are conflicted on this because I, I see friends who, who lean a little harder to the left and, and are more about, hey, I'm trying to stand up for the little guy. And they're saying why, you know, the eviction waves are starting people who can't pay their rent. And by the way, when I talk about this, I want you to understand that in no way is, is there any code language here for these deadbeats who don't pay their bills. I'm talking about people who through no fault of their own, but due to the COVID response shutdowns and the uh, the shuttering of businesses against their will, find themselves either without work or their work opportunities so limited. I mean, there are people who are delivering pizzas, you know, to, to make ends meet. This is hitting in a lot of ways. But one of the ways that this is coming home right now is a lot of folks are finding themselves unable to pay rent and the eviction notices have started going out. I can sympathize for those who find themselves in that solution, it, or in that uh, situation, rather. The, the solutions are not easy. At the same time, I don't think it's a good idea for government to step in and say, well, 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 we'll step in here and we'll save the little guy, because the way that government does that is at the expense of the other little guy, and I'm talking about the landlord. Well, now, Brian, if someone owns property... Well, wouldn't you say that they're well off enough? If they're well off enough to own property, they should have enough money to to make do. Yeah, they should, but that's not always the case. And the bottom line is, whose money did they use to buy the property? Was it the government's? Are they operating those uh, those housing units or apartments on behalf of government? No. They put their own capital up for risk. They were the ones who took that responsibility. And and I say this as a renter. I don't envy the landlord because when something goes wrong, oh, no, the air conditioner condenser went out. Oh, no, the hot water heater's out. The refrigerator is out. Guess who gets to pick up the tab on that? Yeah, it's, it's the landlord. 
So I don't I don't necessarily see them as, you know, the fat cats just sitting there getting rich and and exploiting the the proletariats. I'm sorry. Uh, Marx would have would have felt it was that way. Well, these people who own property, these land landowners and and uh, landlords and people taking rent from others. Look, they've entered into a private contract. That's what it is. When you agree to rent from someone or you agree to rent a property to someone, it's a private contract. By what right does government come in and impose itself and nullify that private contract? Because there's a very clear loser in this case. And it's the person who entered into that contract for the purpose of, look, I need to get paid for someone utilizing my property. Nobody forced them into it. They looked around until they found something that fit their situation, something that either allowed pets or didn't allow pets or allowed smoking or didn't allow smoking. You get the picture. Nobody marches you up to a rental unit at gunpoint and says, here, here is where you will live until further notice. That's not how it's done. So here's what Jeff Minnick has to say. He says the months of quarantine and subsequent riots have brought changes few predicted. Calls to defund the police and the lawlessness of places like Portland have sent the sale of firearms through the roof. The closure of schools and move to distance learning have many parents and students taking a hard look at education, resulting in many new homeschoolers. And citizens once complacent about such rights as freedom of speech and the freedom to assemble are now questioning the power of government, particularly state governments, to impose what appear to be arbitrary rules regarding the First Amendment. Well, on Friday, August 7th, Virginia Governor Ralph Northam announced the state would extend its evictions moratorium through September 7th. Now, this moratorium forbids landlords from evicting tenants for failing to pay their rent. Other states across the country have also banned evictions. Now, he points out here, the moratorium is government's attempt at compassion. Just like all the stimulus checks that even President Trump is anxious to get to you. That's that's supposed to show you, look, we care about you. We're trying to take care of you. But as usual, there are things that are seen and there are things that are not seen. And I'm quoting the title from a terrific essay by Frederick Bastiat, who was a French economist in the early 1800s, who understood that for every policy that's enacted, there are some things you're going to see that are the immediate result. But there are often unintended consequences that affect people that are not as easily visible and they don't become apparent until lately. In fact, if I could give a shameless plug out here for uh, the Words and Numbers podcast. Uh, My friend James Harrigan and Anthony Davies, they host this podcast. And one of the things that they've talked about is what's called the Cobra Effect. I really should be posting every one of these things in the show notes. I'll I'll see if I can get them all posted in there. But in in essence, when a policy is enacted, in this case in, in India, there was a policy enacted that paid a bounty for every Cobra that people could bring to the government. And it was a pretty good bounty. I mean, you could make good money if you brought a dead Cobra. Look at this. You know, and they would pay you for it. But the problem was it provided the wrong kind of incentive. And people went out and brought more cobras into the city because there was such good money to be made. Can you see what happened there? Yeah, unintended consequences. And you're going to see the same kind of thing when government tries to be compassionate by freezing these evictions. As Jeff Minnick says, after all, we don't want to add those who've lost their jobs to the ranks of the homeless. No, we want to help them through the coronavirus crisis, right? That's a good thing. But then he says, not so fast. On the day after Governor Northam's announcement, Jeff Minnick says he spoke with a married couple in their early 30s who were the parents of four small children. 
After graduating from college, Maggie and Sam Smith, this is not their real names, obviously, worked hard, scrimped and saved, and began buying rental properties in Front Royal, Virginia. Single-family homes, older houses consisting of two or three apartments. Now, both Maggie and Sam are savvy about money and real estate. Today, they own over a dozen of these buildings. And like the landlords across the country, they're unhappy with the shenanigans of the government. Maggie says, first, what the government or what the governor rather is doing is unconstitutional in the case of our properties. Now, she majored in political science in college and she worked for a time as a congressional aide. She says the state licenses and inspects places like restaurants, cafes and all other retail stores. Granting those licenses means the state has the power to oversee those businesses or even take away their licenses. But she says in our case. The contracts between us and our tenants are private agreements between individuals. And what that means is if there are disagreements, then that issue must be settled in the courtroom. But here you have the government stepping in and negating contracts. Months ago, the Smiths realized that many people were struggling financially during the coronavirus quarantine, and they endeavored to work with their renters, allowing them to pay their rent piecemeal or extending the deadline for such payments. Their tenants, they say, appreciate these efforts and try hard to pay what is owed, with one exception. A family of four adults of working age with three children rent a home from the Smiths. And as soon as the governor announced a ban on evictions, these people quit paying their monthly rent. Because the state had shut down the courts until recently, the Smiths were unable to seek recourse there. So for five months, Sam and Maggie have paid the mortgage, the insurance, and the taxes on a house from which they collect no rent. One of the tenants of that house told him, they've shut the courts down. You can't evict us. So Maggie says right now the money's just evaporated for us. Now, she followed her tenants on social media, found pictures of them eating crab legs in the house, dining out at various restaurants, adding special features to their cars. Uh, By the way, they also stole some of the fencing in the backyard to use on a building job on another property. Now, according to the Smiths, these are the unforeseen consequences of this government dictate. Mom-and-pop landlords who own and rent out homes and apartments, but who have no means of collecting the rent, who will soon think of selling these buildings or maybe just giving up altogether and letting the bank foreclose. Now, the Smiths wonder whether these government actions might lead to a massive wave of foreclosure by banks, followed by another housing crisis similar to the one in 2008. See, none of the governors advocating for these policies are held accountable for the damage they've wrought to the economy and the culture. They disregard the Constitution of common sense and continue to issue regulations for the common good. But as Jeff Minnick points out, it's the Smiths and people like them who are paying the price. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, let's open up those phone lines. 801-331-8113. Got something on your mind? Here's your chance to sound off. I just note uh, with some interest, there was an article came out on ABC News. Some masks may be worse than no mask at all, study says. I thought this was interesting because I see people in masks every day. Uh, Different kinds of masks. In fact, some wear bandanas, some wear neck gaiters. I kind of like the neck gaiters just because it looks like something that, I don't know, a turkey hunter or, you know, someone who who hunts in in camouflage might, a bow hunter, for instance, might wear to break up their outline and make them blend in. I guess I I still have a lot of that uh, youthful 
uh, years and years spent reading Sports Afield and Outdoor Life magazine that I'm like, oh, yeah, that would be cool. But unfortunately, it's all, you know, about COVID avoidance right now. But now there's this article saying, well, actually, some of these masks may be even worse than no mask at all. To which my response is, okay, well, then fine. Then don't wear the mask. But, you know, it's it's crazy how uh, confrontational this is becoming. And I understand there's strong feelings on both sides. Some people are like, look, if you don't wear the mask, you are literally committing murder. In which case, I would say, okay, any person who's ever gone out in public with a cold, with the sniffles, you've committed murder as well. Why? Because you don't know. There may be somebody out there immunocompromised that you got near them and bam, their blood is on your hands. I can't imagine living life with that kind of a mindset, but there are those who will do it. And then you take it to its logical extreme. Well, let's get the state involved and let's make sure that there's some teeth behind this. And you end up with what's happening in Melbourne, Australia where right now police may enter anyone's home without a warrant. They have an 8 p.m. curfew. You are fined $1,652 if you are found outside without a valid reason. That's an amount, by the way, that they're raising by the day. I mean, they are putting the screws to these people. You can't visit family or friends. No mask and outside, that's a $200 fine, if you're lucky enough not to be grabbed by the throat and taken to the ground by a helpful police officer who's just doing his duty to keep things safe. You can only exercise once per day for up to an hour. Only one person per household per day can leave the house. That includes for groceries. They are limited to no more than three miles from their home. Weddings are illegal. No gatherings of any size. They have the military now called out on the streets, fining and arresting people. And apparently uh, since March 21st, nearly 200,000 spot checks have been conducted by police across Victoria. Protesting, any kind of activism is illegal. People have already been arrested for peaceful gatherings. And the media, ah, this is going to shock you, seems to come down firmly on the side of the authorities, calling protesters right-wing conspiracy nut jobs, And they won't even allow discussion of whether these lockdowns are right or not. Several thousand people have been placed under house arrest, unable to leave for any reason. Their food rations are delivered by the army. Can you imagine the personal trauma that brings? And Australia won't release how many fines they've given out so far, but an ABC News report says it's over $5.2 million so far. And there's more. I'm looking at an article here from Jeffrey Tucker from the American Institute for Economic Research, and it just goes on and on and on. Oh, and the billboards everywhere. Staying apart keeps us together. Wow, Orwell's even going, dude, just... (laughs) Turn it down from 11, at least bring it down to a level that it's not so so crazy. That's a lot of insanity packed into one city in one country. All right, let's go to the phone. Thank you for your patience. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hi there. Um, I just, you know, I just had some thoughts about the whole landlord issue. I mean, you know, there's something that... Being a landlord in general is something that has been picked up by leftists, and uh, I'd say within the last year or two, that's been their one of their new pet um, sins. That, from what I have seen, is actually a greater sin than happening to be born a male with low melanin levels. 
that. Right. <laughs> hey, if you've if you've ever if you've ever read anything from Karl Marx, and I suggest people probably should read the Communist Manifesto and maybe a few of his other writings, just to get an idea of what it is that people are clinging to. He's very down on the idea of landlords. Number one, they own property. Number two, they're charging people to live there. But, you know, I um, just to give the other listeners some context, I am a landlord, and I also happen to be a renter at the moment. Um, I won't go into details as to how I manage that situation, but um, no, I, I, I listen to their arguments about it, and you know, I get it. There are some landlords out there who are utter dirtbags who don't care at all about their tenants. They're just a cash cow, and you know, but let me tell you, um, now my tenants, you know, when they applied, you know, I looked at their financial history and all that and made some decisions. There is no way on earth that they ever could have afforded to buy a home anywhere near comparable to the one that they're renting from me right now. I mean, it, you know, the place that I'm renting out, it isn't the nicest in the world, but it is a fairly nice, comfortable home in a nice complex, you know. I, I don't rent out trash. I try to take care of it. Um, but actually, just today, I got quite a gut check with... Uh, the whole coronavirus situation. I, I knew that they had um, at least one person in the household had come down and tested positive and was pretty sick um, within the last month or so. And, you know, so I, I told them, as, as I have you know, tried to do to be reasonable, you know, let me know if you guys are having a hard time. You know, I can work with the young end. Um, you know, we, we can split it up. I can, you know, try to find a way to cover another month if if you guys just can't make it work because you can't work. Um, you know, in the last couple of weeks, I hadn't heard anything from them. And, um, I, um, I communicated with them. You know, you need to tell me what's going on. I haven't seen rent yet. Um, figure it out today, or there will be a job on your door tomorrow morning. Whoa. Because um, it's almost two weeks late now. Now, imagine my shock when the text I get back is, oh, my husband died from coronavirus. And I completely forgot about rent. Wow. Talk about stopping me dead in my tracks. Dang. Um, but, you know, uh, fortunately, you know, there are tools that I can use to make it work, you know, so that they're not evicted. I mean, that, that's completely off the table now. I, I wouldn't dream of evicting that at this point. Um, but, you know, I, I was thinking about 
you know, even if they had been able to get in into a house and buy a house at this at the time that they chose to rent from me, you know, with with what has happened to them, I, I believe it was just within the last week. What would their situation be if they were the homeowner instead of renters? Oh yeah. Well, I think you raise a, a really good uh, concept here, and that is, wherever possible, we should cut each other slack. And this is one of the reasons why I'm reluctant to get government involved. People can work these things out. It may take going to a courtroom to work out something equitable, but it's better than having some politician swoop in and say, no, 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 I got this, and then imposing whatever they think is best. Oh, absolutely. You know, and... I, I know several landlords personally that, you know, I've gotten to know through this, learning this process and, you know, how to do it right. And, you know, like, like I said before, there's there's some out there, none that I know personally, none that, frankly, I would associate myself with, who are completely heartless dirtbags. I appreciate you sharing your story with us. Thank you. Good food for thought. I want to give a quick shout-out to firesteel.com as we end the show today. If you do not have one of their excellent fire sparkers, their steel, their flint and steel, go to firesteel.com. Seriously, just go to the website. You'll find a ton of different videos showing you what they have, how they work. And I think they'll sell themselves. I think you'll go, yeah, that would be a very smart thing to have. And best of all, it will take the place of thousands of matches, thousands of lighters. And it works. Firesteel.com. Be sure to mention Brian at checkout. This is The Brian Hyde Show. A trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome to the show, and a quick shout-out to our sponsors. They include Firesteel.com, also the uh, Staples-Turner team at uh, Patriot Home Mortgage. I appreciate these sponsors. And listen, if you appreciate uh, the content that we provide day in and day out, I'm going to ask when you have the need of their services. So if you need to start a fire or you need to buy a home or refinance your mortgage, I hope you'll do business with my sponsors. Let them know that their advertising message is reaching you and and that it, uh, it got into your ears and that you trust them. And I hope you do trust them because I'm giving my personal endorsement to them. I'm picky. I really am. And, and I would not, uh, I'm not going to send you to somebody who's going to sell you snake oil or otherwise hoodwink you. So with that said, let me welcome my guest. I have Gary Welch joining me. Hi, Gary. Once again, Brian, I'm so glad to be with you. I always enjoy our conversations. I'm looking forward to chatting with you today because, Gary, uh, when we talk about uh, what is going on around us, and I, I know the COVID-19 response is kind of the dominant subject. I like your take on this because... I have found through my own experience, it's very easy to go off 
into the weeds chasing conspiracies and and you know my facebook feed is full of of conspiracies of well here's what this all means and this was all planned before and you know the uh, the vaccine is going to contain nanoparticles that will track you and and implant thoughts and uh, you know i okay maybe there's something to it but you have i think a very down-to-earth approach and that is when when we talk about uh, the covid crisis something we need to understand is not that there's a powerful conspiracy necessarily drawing us into its net, but what? So this actually even ties in, um, and I'm going to do a shameless plug here for the show, in that if you go to the website, thebrianhighshow.com, and register with us and become an email subscriber, you're going to get a book called Embrace Capitalism. And one of the key concepts of that book, it's an e-book that we send out, is that government is the most ineffective, inefficient, and most expensive way of getting anything done. And this, this COVID crisis proved that in spades. And, and I'm, I, I'd like to tell everybody, look, let's don't go down the conspiracy theory that these, these really powerful and, and smart and intelligent people conspired and got together and said, okay, let's create this disease, let's, let's send it out, and that's how we're going to take over. Because the evidence shows that they were not ready, they were not prepared, and boy, they didn't have a good plan. I mean, they they made a good effort to try to take over, uh, obviously, and abused it. That was I could see that part of it being a conspiracy. But man, I'm telling you, the way they managed this crisis, it is a mess. Well, and there's a very solid reason you give for why it's not good to get caught up in, well, let's pull this thread and see what unravels and what's the underlying meaning here. Um, if, if you do that, that tends to engender a, this is all out of my hands. Why even try mentality? Why do we want people to understand you are not entirely powerless? And that's really, I mean, this is the basis of the show. It it is honestly about empowering you as an individual, our listeners, and those who you speak to, uh, letting them know this is not done. This is not over. We do have an opportunity to change our government. We could have what I call a a, um, peaceful revolution in that we could totally change our government. It would look nothing like it does today. And that's within our grasp and within our power. But if you believe that there is individuals out there and you convince others, hey, there's these powerful bankers and these these old families, and they're running everything. They have all the cards. They have all the power. They have all the ability to manipulate things. Then that creates a, well, why try? Why why should we do anything? We're, they're just going to stop us. You know, they'll they'll kill your show. They'll kill you, whatever. They're going to do whatever it takes to make sure we don't win. And then that just gives us to the point where we give up before we even start. And I'm seeing some pretty dark things taking place, uh, not just in America, but even around the world. I don't know if you have. Have you kept up on some of the things coming out of Australia lately concerning to, to their government's response to the covid crisis? Yes. And and I will say this, too, you know, that this is a. There is a worldwide movement. I'll give that credit. There is a worldwide movement towards socialism and government control. But that's nothing new. That's 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 always been around from day one. Yeah, and it's I, I'm just looking at I've seen two different police videos uh, that have come out of uh, Australia in the last couple of days. 
And one of them is a girl being choked. I mean, like literally grabbed by the throat and being choked and taken to the ground by a police officer. And you may think, well, my goodness, what did she do to deserve, you know, such a harsh, you know, uh, treatment and and to get arrested? Now, she's not cooperating with him. But when you understand the reason he's got her by the throat and the reason he is is doing an enforcement action on her is because she had the gall to think she could walk down the street without wearing a mask. And apparently that is that is forbidden. And it just goes to show the more what I would call the socialist government you have, the more control that you give this enlightened elite that's part of the the whole socialist movement, the more power they're going to take. And it always ends up in abuse. It never, ever, ever goes into oh, well, let's be a benevolent dictatorship and let's be a benevolent tyrant where we'll really look after the people and take care of them. It always ends up with somebody going to jail, someone getting beat, someone getting shot. And and the thing that's so astounding, or at least it should be for people who are thinking, is they didn't have to handle it this way. I know you've told me there are, there are at least three different ways that they could have handled this crisis. What were those, what were those choices? And this goes to the point of, of what I'm always talking about. The main thing I got against this whole enlightened and lead approach is you are not enlightened. There is no reason why you should control my life, because if you think you're smarter than the rest of us and that you know how to handle these things, you have proven over and over again that you don't. And in the end, they messed up. And COVID, again, proves it very well. There were three options that they could have chose to do. Option number one, which would have been what I would classify as the more libertarian approach, was basically do nothing. You inform the people, here's what it does, this is why it's dangerous, these are the concerns we have, these are the recommendations we're giving you to help protect yourself and your loved ones, and please exercise restraint, take care of it. That would have been option number one. Isn't that essentially what Sweden did? There was, yeah, there was, and actually even within some states here in America, they did take a very hands-off kind of approach. Nobody really did that. But in the book that we are, we're going to be promoting, we talk about that and how the, there was really no differences between the two, but there was, there was, there was absolutely, that was one of the approaches. Okay. What was the, the second, second one? one? Was more, more um, involved, but still, again, I think a better approach, which is, Let's go and protect the vulnerable. And, and this was something they knew right away. Within a couple of weeks, China was already identifying, hey, this is only affecting old people and the, the sick and those who have respiratory issues. It's not affecting young people at all. We're not even seeing them exhibit symptoms. So they knew this. So they could have took the approach of, okay, let's protect them. Let's protect the aged, the, the weak those who have immunity compromises. What if we took the same amount of effort, the same amount of money, not saying that that's a good thing, but if we did, and we just devoted that to those who were vulnerable, we could have set up all sorts of systems like providing true isolation for our senior centers and those assisted living centers. We could have, that's where all the deaths are occurring is in those places. What if we set it up so that we could have People there 24-7 who are in, in protected suits, and they're, they're very much isolating these individuals and keeping them safe. We could have done that, and we could afford to done it considering what we spent. But no, they took the worst approach possible, which is let's shut everything down. Let's imprison our citizens. Let's close these businesses. 
and they did it in such a way that it wasn't even it wasn't even effective. And when we get back from the break, we'll talk about that, how this thing wasn't even effective as a method. And that's the part that stings the most, at least to me, is and, and we've we've looked at the numbers. In fact, on the website, the Brian Hyde show, uh, I know you put up the page, the covid statistics. You can see for yourself the numbers will bear out that the places that locked it down hard, they didn't avoid anything. Even And the places that took a more even-handed approach, they did about the same. In other words, the virus didn't seem to respond to official policy. Huh, imagine that. <laughs> it's almost like it has a mind of its own. All right. Yeah, COVID didn't get the political memo. <laughs> we got to take a quick break. Gary Welch is my guest. We'll, uh, we'll actually open it up for some calls here in just a little bit as well. You can call us at 801-331-8113. And again, show notes are available at thebrianhideshow.com. We'll be back just the other side of these messages. The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Gary Welch is my guest. And I hope if you take nothing else away from our conversation today, I hope that you will remember what Gary was pointing out in the last segment, which is it's not a matter of government is so powerful and so evil that it is going to take over everything in your life. It's a matter of more often than not, the people who aspire to power are incompetent and have delusions of grandeur. And when they screw something up, which let's just be honest, they screwed up a lot on their covid response, you know, they they. They don't like to take accountability for it. Something good happens. Oh, yeah, they'll be there to take all the accountability. Wow, that was me. That was all me. But, uh, for instance, Gary, let's talk about Governor Cuomo. Cuomo is is a very interesting character. And right now, um, in fact, I've got an article here in front of me from AmericanThinker.com. Running scared, Cuomo pulls out all stops to avoid responsibility on New York's massive COVID nursing home death count. Give me your take on what Governor Cuomo did and what he is doing right now. I don't know what he was thinking. How, what kind of expectations did he have by saying, yeah, let's take infected people, put them in the most vulnerable spot in the world and that we're going to have good outcomes from this. And this is, this is like the, this, this whole thing about incompetent. And even, you know, to the point, all of us at one point have said, these guys are idiots. You know, we just use that word. These guys are idiots. That was an idiotic response that cost people their lives. He has blood on his hands. So even if they had done nothing, the the death count would really not have been so different, would it? And that's one of the things that I wanted to point out because of just that, in that despite all that, they're trying to tell us that this thing was going to kill millions, and they've got it down to 150,000 or so, lies that through their efforts but when you look at the things they did like governor como he didn't subtract from the death count he added to it had he not done what he did we probably would have had less deaths but just the way they went about this they were not effective they did it too late they did it too little 
They were very, you know, the idea that um, you can go to Walmart and Target and these other large retail operations, but you can't go to a little movie theater or something like that. Well, that's going to take care of it. The disease won't hurt anyone. And then if you go to protest these these actions that were taken, that'll spread the disease. But if you go there for Black Lives Matter, well, that's okay. I All did. of these actions shows that ain't going to work. I did get a laugh out of the pastor. I think it was last Sunday who uh, I don't remember what state he was in. I want to say California. Um, and, and because church was banned, nope, you can't meet for church. So they held a gathering and he welcomed the worshipers to this uh, protest service, <laughs> which <laughs> apparently gave him the legal cover to, to continue to meet. Yes. But, you know, then that was the whole thing. Um, in, in the book, we talk about um, Alana Shakik, I think is how she pronounced her name. She came out in early March. She's an epidemiologist, and she came out early, early March and said, you cannot quarantine this disease. A, it's already here, and it's been here longer than you think. And B, the nature of this disease, the way that it works, because it basically is very good at hiding itself. If you're a young adult, you're not going to show any symptoms at all. That is 80% of the young adults are not showing any symptoms at all, but you're a carrier. And they did nothing to stop that. So these people were running around spreading this disease. And this is what we were getting at. Don't count the number of deaths to the number of tested, because that's a faulty test. It doesn't give you the accurate numbers. Among other things, those of us who got infected, but we never got tested. That's the true comparison. So what we've done in the book is we said, compare it to the one thing you can, which is population. And when you do that, the numbers come really low, really, really low. Well, and and you've got to have that skepticism that you had referenced earlier, which is when when some uh, public official, whether they're elected or not, when they come to you and they try to convince you, I can solve this problem. I can take care of any situation. I will do the right thing in every situation. You need to know they're as full of it as a Christmas goose. And they got themselves into this situation because of that. They have tried to perpetuate an all-knowing, all-powerful government that can solve any problem anytime. And whenever you have a problem, come to us and we'll solve it for you. And when something like COVID shows up, which is very unique in the, in the way that it manifests itself, it basically says there's no real good solution to this. Had they done nothing, I think the, the, the impact would have been the same because I really don't think they did anything to stop it. I think the death count was always going to be what it was. And there were some research that they had in their hands that basically said, if you did nothing, this is what's going to happen, which is what we're seeing right now. Well, and and those who made these decisions, the ones who did the lockdowns, the ones who have forced so many small businesses into ruin or at least on that slow road to ruin, um, somehow seem to think they're going to escape accountability or they should uh, because, you know, they they cannot admit that they were wrong. And, And we've seen this in the change of the narrative. We've seen this in the contradictions and changes in data because they know that they're they're going to get caught eventually. So, you know, as as much as they may have had good intentions, good intentions really don't count when it comes to policy. What's the call to action? What do we want people to understand? What do we want them to do other than recognize that uh, too many of these people were incompetent and over their heads from the beginning? But that actually is my call to action. I 
I think there's two things that we need to do to change the narrative. Here's the problem, Brian. As of right now, 66% of Americans, it's down from 70%, but it's still a majority, think this thing is deadly. They think that government's doing the right thing. We've got to become more effective at changing that mindset. Now they're starting to get there, but we have to help them along. And so there's no need to preach to our listeners. They, they're already there. They're on board. We're good to go. What we need to do is encourage you and show you how to go out and educate others, which is don't say, hey, this is a conspiracy. These guys were manipulating things. Let's talk about the incompetencies. They're idiots. They're incompetent. They're inept. They didn't know what they were doing. And when they did something, it was wrong and it turned out worse because it's easy to fire incompetent people. We do it all the time. <laughs> and, and, and that's this, what we want to happen. Yeah, this is something that you I think you have really helped me solidify in my mind is they work for us. We feel like right. it's the other way around. And we go to them hat in hand. Please, may I have permission to open my business? May I have permission to make a living? May I have permission to go to the store? They work for us. They're the employee, not us. And if we want to stop socialism, we stop that by showing the truth of the situation and that these guys are not smarter. This is what our founding fathers figured out 200 years ago. How come we can't figure it out? They're not smarter than us. They're not wiser than us. Why are we allowing them to control our lives? And as soon as we start that narrative, they're inept, they're incompetent. We should not give them power. That starts the trend to change things. And we, we should actually use this opportunity now to do that, to go out there and start having these conversations about these guys aren't smart. They don't know what they're doing. Look what they did. And they certainly don't know enough to be making these kinds of decisions for you and for me. That's not oh, arrogance. Even, that's, that's just that's asserting your rights as a free, autonomous individual. They don't know better. They can't know better. And when they make bad decisions, if you and I make bad decisions, we go, oh, okay, I'm sorry, bad decision. What do they do? Let's cover it up. Let's change the narrative. Let's hide it. Let's double let's, down. Let's, yeah, let's penalize those who speak out. Oh, that's a dangerous situation. Okay, so we want people go to the website, thebrianhydeshow.com. Uh, Gary, you mentioned they can they can sign up if you if you want to if you want to drop your email to us. We would love to have you on board as a fellow wrong thinker, and uh, you can even you can leave comments. You can check out this amazing ebook. We're going to be talking about that more in the days ahead. Anything else you want to add in our final seconds here? Well, the ebook gives you the background on what's going on. Once you read that, you'll understand better, like, oh, yeah, these guys messed up bad. All right. Thank you, Gary Welch. Yeah. This is The Brian Hyde Show.